When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. I got Alan Hoskins back here from Legacy Bank. Um, and he is I mess this up every time, Alan, but you're the president and national sales director, right? Did I get it right this time? Of American Farm Mortgage and American Financial Farm Mortgage. Yes. Go. Right on. Yep. So Alan, nice enough to come on and talk about what's happening in in uh, the world of banking and Right now, Alan, there's a ton of stuff to talk about. We never had a time we didn't have anything to talk about. So we got the uh, – first, I'll start like this way. So you're out there in um, in your part of the world, Alan. What are you seeing right now? Are you seeing – are you dry? you got enough rain? What's your, what's your kind of synopsis of what you see happening out there? We're dry. Yeah. And we, we did get some measurable rain last Sunday. Uh, we got about an inch and a half at our farm. And we live about 45 miles away from our farm. We got about a half an inch. And I'd been out. Our, our crop condition looked pretty decent. Uh, when I finished up planting, it was pretty dry. And we had gone about 16 days without any measurable rain. There's areas, Casey, that have gone longer than that. 
I also took a trip up into central Illinois uh, about two Saturdays ago. Very dry up in that part of the world as well. Talked to some folks up there and they were concerned. You look at stands and particularly our part of the world, we've kind of had a double whammy. There were some folks that got out early, got crops planted under some pretty good conditions. And then unfortunately, we had too much moisture there for a while. That led to very uneven emergence. And in some cases, a lot of drowned out areas. I've probably seen more replant this year than I've seen over the past decade. When you couple replant with extremely dry conditions, I would tell you, Casey, as we sit here today, certainly trend line yield, I think, may be a challenge. As we go forward, obviously, we don't know what's going to happen going forward. But if you take a snapshot of where we are today and project out normal, whatever that is, Mm -hmm. precipitation and temperatures for the balance of the growing season, I, I think an average crop would be probably our top end in our part of the world right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing I've been hearing from a lot of my friends in that Iowa, Illinois, Indiana area. Same, same, same story. Um, we've been fortunate to catch some rains out here, a lot of rains out here to kind of boost things along. So we are, uh, we're, we're ready, uh, for our growing season to kind of we need some heat units now. So unfortunately we've been been cool and wet for quite a while now. So one of the one of the things, Casey, that whether it's customers I work with or whether it's just just farmers in general, one of the things that I would really urge producers to think about doing right now is taking the opportunity sooner rather than later, sit back down with your lender. Or if you're doing everything internally, go back in and adjust your yields. And with what we've seen in commodity prices over the past particularly six weeks, go back in and look at where your revenue projections may be. Expenses are becoming a little more of a known quantity right now because fertilizer bills are in, seed bills are in, fuel bills for the spring. Folks kind of know if they didn't have fuel locked in, they know where they are, probably can project out through the end of the year. I think within the next four weeks, folks need to have a pretty good idea based upon where they believe their yields may be now. Obviously, planting intentions may have changed, maybe more to one crop or the other over what they initially planned. But they need to really be taking this opportunity to fine-tune what 2023 may look like based upon current conditions versus what we started out with maybe in March. Yeah, that's good advice. Things have changed quite a bit when you start looking at, at where we started and where we're at now and then where we could possibly be. A lot of, a lot of moving parts there. All right, Fed meeting today. Um, everyone's expecting the Fed to, to hold and, and not to raise any interest rates. Well, we'll see what they do. Um, they've made it pretty clear that even if they do hold, they're not going to uh drop interest rates anytime soon we have seen some cpi reports come out that have been interest or interest inflation rather has been um slowly declining all the way through that see some spike ups in different areas but for the most part you've been seeing a, a steady decline 
in, in inflation looking at that. So I guess as you're looking at that, your expectations for the Fed and, and what they might look like, and then assuming that they don't raise, what what do you what kind of reaction do you think that will throw out into um, interest rates, how, how that's going to affect some interest rates? And, and, and when you're looking at that, talking with your customers, kind of how you how you prepping for that, I guess. Well, first of all, on the inflation side, the, the thing that I saw this morning, and I don't know what, what you may have seen, and we're, we're taping this on June 14th, but the numbers that I saw this morning, month over month inflation, according to what I saw, is up one-tenth of one percent, but year over year is up four percent. Again, I know what has been publicly stated about the Fed's intentions, but we'll see what that translates into today. Going forward, what I would tell folks is, and this is the same thing that I practice with the folks that I work with, it's not about trying to be right about predicting. It's about being able to handle adjustments either way. Right. And I think folks get into trouble or can get into trouble, I should say whenever they start making decisions based upon an assumption that they make about where rates are going to go. Right. I think, again, it goes back to what I just said, looking at your numbers. If you're sitting on variable rate loans, what do your numbers look like if we see another 25, 50, 75 basis point increase over the coming 12 months? What do your numbers look like if we see that decrease? It's about managing that margin of interest rate movements as opposed to being right about it. Now, to answer your question directly, I would tell you, Casey, what do I think interest rates are going to do is one of the most popular questions that <laughs> I receive. I bet you do, yeah. <laughs> and and I'm 100% honest with them every time that if I knew what was really going to happen, I probably would be doing something a little bit different than yeah. what I'm doing. Yeah. You have an island someplace. Yeah. Well, probably have a very nice farm. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd be more on the farm than on the beach. Right. But I would, or a bigger farm, I'll say it that way. Uh, I would say, Casey, that, you know, the Fed has kind of made it clear what they would like to see from a target perspective of inflation. We'll see what their actions, how their actions tie to what they say based upon what does come out today. But again, it's more about managing the margin of interest rate movements rather than trying to be right about predicting interest rate movements. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, one thing I've I've always kind of wondered from from a perspective, your perspective as a banker, when you're when you're having a conversation with a customer and you see interest rates doing different stuff and interest rates start coming down or whatever, whatever movement we see, how do you have the conversation? When do, when do you, when's the right time, I guess, to start having that refinance conversation about and, and trying to maybe pick up a, a different interest rate or something along those lines or extending out a time period or something like that to, for a payment structure or something like that. When, when do you have that conversation and what's that look like? What are some of your measuring points in that? Great question. 
And the answer to that is it varies operation by operation. There, there is no one size fits all because one operation may be preparing for a land acquisition and they may have some land free and clear. And if you look back a couple of years ago, there were some great opportunities that they had land free and clear to lock in some historically low interest rates that they could be using some of that capital today to make some land purchases. In the environment we're in today, if you have an operation that's looking at a land purchase, what I'm interested in hearing from them, what's their tolerance for risk movements? First of all, from a comfort perspective, because at the end of the day, Casey, there are times that even if you can sit down and look at numbers, it still fall, may fall, and those numbers work, but those numbers may fall outside of the comfort zone of that particular operator. Yeah. Some folks are candidly a little more comfortable with risk than others. So what I would do or what I do with those folks is say, okay, let's talk about what your plans are for one year, three year, 10 years. And let's look at your current structure from a debt perspective. Let's look at where you are from a working capital perspective. Let's look at what type of working capital, if any, is going to need to be allocated to those future purposes. Or conversely, if you have folks that working capital is stressed right now, but they have a lot of equity in real estate that we might be able to do some replenishment of working capital and their debt coverage numbers still look good. Then we have the conversation, how comfortable are you that 12 months from now, your interest rates might be X plus, or what do you believe that it might be at X minus? Let's run those numbers. And ultimately the producer gets to make the decision not the banker. It's my job to provide thoughts, ideas, and show effect on the financials of the scenarios that we run. I can obviously provide historical perspective, but the one thing, Casey, that I can never do, I can never be able to provide comfort to someone in a circumstance where they aren't comfortable with the risk they're assuming. Right. That's the nuance. I would argue that's the true nuance of being, in my opinion, a good ag banker. Yep. Okay. All right. So kind of along the same lines, you're looking at a lot of guys that are trading equipment in or whatever it is they're doing, where they're going from a two and a half or 3% interest rate and they've got a nice equity position, that, that piece of equipment and they're traded in on something that's got six and a half to eight percent interest, depending on the situation. Um, hard to maintain that same equity position uh, mm-hmm. at at eight percent versus two percent. I mean, it's just it's just especially when you start looking at the size uh, of, of or the the expense of some of these machines now. When you're having that conversation with the customers, like hey, I'm ready to update, I'm ready to do these things, and here's the technology. Da da da. I I have a hard time having that conversation with them because yes, you're going to be more efficient. Yes. You're going to get these gains, but at the same time you're, you're going to need to put more money down to maintain the same a payment or B equity position or something like that along those lines as across that same as you run those numbers across a three or five year period. 
How, how are you having that conversation and, and how's that look when you're having that talk about? Well, first and foremost, in the equipment trade, and you touched on it, there should be a revenue opportunity associated with that trade. Yep. So the first thing I want to look at is ask the producer to help me understand what's your revenue opportunity by moving forward with this trade. So we need to factor that into the equation as well, because yes, is there going to be a higher interest rate today? Yes, there is, without a doubt. So we can very easily define what the additional cost is going to be. Now, we also know there's going to be a tax savings because of the trade, because there's going to be additional additional depreciation, pardon me, that's available to them as part of that upgrade. But what I want to look at is what's the net effect on the operation? Because you talked about equity there, and equity is important, and I don't want to minimize that. But I'll also say this. You don't buy a gallon of milk at the grocery store with equity. Very true. Buy a gallon of milk at the grocery store with cash. Yes. So what kind of cash is this trade going to generate over and above the cost? Mm-hmm. That's the conversation that I want to have. And I find a lot of times, Casey, folks don't look at the revenue opportunity side. and. Candidly, if if I'm working directly with a customer and they're not looking at that revenue opportunity side, shame on me as a banker. Because that should be part of the education process that I'm working through with them is asking them the questions to help them explain to me that this is not an equipment trade. This is an operational improvement opportunity. That's the distinction that I see. Right. So barring the fact that, you know, having as little debt as possible is always best, but is, is, is the best answer when it comes to a down payment as much as possible? Is that, is that always the right answer in in situations? No, I don't believe it is because every circumstance is different. Debt in and of itself, as long as it's creating additional revenue by the acquisition of the asset and the return on the investment exceeds the cost and you can handle the cash flow debt in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing candidly how many farms can effectively grow today without debt and continue to grow? Yeah. Yeah. and i'm not saying there aren't some out there because i believe there are but i believe they're the exception rather than the rule right so i think it makes more sense to look at what's the effect on the overall operation? Because, for example, if if you've got some folks that they've got their land free and clear and they've got a sizable tract of land the and they're wanting to trade combines, even if it's a new X9 and they're trading in a 690 on a new X9, yes, there's going to be a significant cash outflow go there. But... Even if 100% of that purchase was financed, if they have a land base that's fully free and clear, probably the leverage that they create, and again, this is just speaking in general, the leverage they create by trading that combine, combine is probably pretty minimal in the overall scope of the operation. So 
I think that's the key is looking at what does this leverage do on the bigger picture, not necessarily on the singular piece of equipment. Yep. Okay. So that leads me to my next question. You, you talked about the land part of it is there's a lot of generational moves making being happen right now, whether it's the generation um, that's, that's leaving the farming because of no one's coming back or there's a, a, a generation leaving because now there's someone coming in. So uh, the operations are, are starting to grow. You're starting to see a lot more movement. We talked about uh, land stuff beforehand. You had some stuff you want to hit on when, about that particular thing, but start looking at um, land values <clears throat> across the board. I don't care where you're looking at. They're, they're still selling for record prices, and 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 that's showing that there's that demand for, for growth there. You had some pretty good stats there. If you wouldn't mind sharing those, that'd be great. But as you're looking at that, and you're having those conversations with with your with your guys, and as they're growing into their their operations are growing, and they want to add this, you know, section over here, half section, or quarter, whatever it is that they're doing, and you're looking at some of these values, mm-hmm. how's that conversations play out, and what's that look like? Well, I can give you a real life example. I had this conversation with a gentleman last Thursday. Whenever went looked at some land that he was getting, he was interested in possibly purchasing. And my question to him was this, what does your buying this land prevent you from potentially acquiring in the next three to five years? Because there is an opportunity today to add land, but what will exercising this opportunity today potentially prevent you from being able to do three years or five years from now? So, is there a tract of land that potentially maybe borders you today that's not available that you think may be in three or five years? And what you're looking at buying today maybe isn't adjacent to what you already own. That's a non-financial consideration that I think is very important in land acquisition. You know, I've heard it said, Casey, that you can have anything you want in life. You just can't have everything. And I think that there's some level of truth in that that needs to be considered. Now, granted, and this is a discussion he and I had, he might go ahead and elect to purchase this land today, but he needs to be, I guess, cognizant of the marketability of that land should there come a piece that joins him come up, that he might want to divest himself of what he buys today in order to be able to acquire something adjacent to him. So I think that plays into, and again, that's a non-financial component of buying land that I think folks need to consider. And I know no farmer, traditionally speaking, ever wants to sell land. But I think when you look at the cost today, it certainly is important to understand what's the potential value of this land that's being acquired today two to three years down the road so that if they do need to acquire some other land that's more valuable to them, they might want to look at marketing this. So I I think that's a consideration that they need to be mindful of when they make these acquisitions. You touched on succession planning or pardon me, succession of land. You know, Casey, I, I read an article and this actually came out of, a uh, study that was done at Iowa State University, and this was on AgWeb a few days ago, 
And it talked about that basically that there were 17%, I believe was the number. Let me look to make sure. 17% of farmland owners do not have a planned successor. This is in the state of Iowa. And that to me is a very interesting statistic. So you're talking about almost one out of five of the producers in Iowa don't have a successor identified. That to me creates opportunity. Yep. And I think those are things that are good for current producers to think about because we've talked about labor shortage in agriculture. Retiring producers are an absolutely wonderful source of labor in many cases because they want to continue to do the things they love. But many of them also would like a few less stressors in their life. Sure. So I think there's a really good opportunity there mm-hmm. that folks may need to think about. And again, I don't know the statistics in other states. That's just in the state of Iowa. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that the transfer of land and what that looks like here moving forward is going to be um, pretty. I think it's going to be a very important thing to watch, especially when you look at how many um, family farms are and you know the whole corporate farm thing but i mean they're corporate farms that are big family farms and i mean it's just how they have things set up but we start looking at are they like who's buying that land and what are they doing with it and is it a speculator buying it just sitting on to see if it goes up in price or are they you know are they farming are they sharecropping it out or what are they doing you know what's that look like and that's going to play such a huge role in the overall spectrum of how um what farming looks like, especially in states like Iowa, Illinois, and Indiana, where you're start you still seeing those twenty-five to thirty thousand dollar an acre numbers come across the auction block when you watch that stuff. So um what's that look like and how's that gonna continue to work? And I, I think that's uh uh going to change some of the way growth opportunities are presented, I guess, to this to this next generation coming in of a farmer that wants to that's either trying to, you know, grow the operation because now there's more people in the family farm than there were to start with, um, trying to make a living off that, or just overall just growth in general. It's going to be an interesting play to watch. It, it is, and <clears throat> Casey, I've, I've said this for a few years now. I think we are on the precipice of, if we're not already there, we're looking at the first generation that we're. Mom and dad may have significant land holdings that the coming generation will not have the ability to buy mom and dad out. Yeah. You know, you look at a, say you have a mom and dad that have an owned acreage base of a thousand acres. In all likelihood, the next generation is probably not going to have the leveraging ability to finance that kind of a buyout. (laughs) Secondly, mom and dad would have some in all likelihood, some fairly significant capital gains issues. Sure. If they did buy the land out. So what I would say going forward, you're going to see more multi-child families that are going to have potentially land ownership vested in an entity versus individuals. 
and you're going to, in all likelihood, have more non-farming children owning a percentage of the land that may be farmed by one sibling. Right. So family communication has always been a challenge historically. Getting right. <laughs> That's going to add a layer of complexity to it. And candidly, the best time for those discussions to happen are before something happens to mom and dad rather than after something happens to mom and dad. And I know those are hard things for many families to do. There's some folks out there that I think do a great job of helping families transition through that and helping them have those conversations. And I would say, Casey, from from my perspective as a, a banker, one of the things that I really like to hear is when folks are that have significant land holdings, particularly, and have non-farming children, I like to hear when they're thinking about, okay, we need to bring in someone <clears throat> that's an expert to help us with this. Yeah, It's not going to be cheap to do it, but it's going to be a whole lot less expensive potentially than what happens if they don't do it somewhere down the road. Yeah. It's All right, Alan, good stuff, man. I think it's a good place to stop when you're looking at, uh, all the stuff we've got moving here. You got a lot of information out there. I don't know if folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what you're doing. What's the best way to do that? Uh, my uh, email address, they can certainly reach out to me uh, via it. It's a Hoskins at American farm mortgage.com. Uh, they can also certainly call the office. That number is 1-800-876-2362. So, would welcome any comments, thoughts. Always love to have conversations with folks and learn from them. Yep. Well, I really appreciate you taking time to be on the podcast, Alan. Well, thanks, Casey. I always enjoy doing this. You do a great job with it. You uh, you serve us well in the agricultural community. Thank you for what you do. I appreciate that, man. All right. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC, LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast, and check out the video version of this over on the uh, YouTube channel, which is the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. Check it out there. Go to Moving Iron LLC for everything Moving Iron related and check out the Moving Iron Summit coming up here September 11th through the 13th. If you want more information about that, other than what's listed out there, send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at Moving Iron Podcast.com. And if you're one of the first 150 people to sign up, you get a $50 discount from the folks over at Axon. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour. With Alan Hoskins, let's move smart, folks. Out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century.